become our friend on Facebook. Post on our wall your thoughts about our shows and network. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You've just landed on the Ellis Martin Report. Stay with us for the next half hour as we present you with expert insight, commentary, and potential financial opportunity. Companies featured on this program have given us cash money to be portrayed here. Some of the analyst segments are sponsored as well. On the web, find us at ellismartinreport.com. Here's the host of the Ellis Martin Report, Ellis Martin. The following segment is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Join me for a conversation with a frequent guest of the show, David Morgan, the Silver Guru, an expert on money, metals, and mining, also a lecturer and an author. Mr. Morgan has written Get the Skinny on Silver Investing, available on Amazon.com. His website is TheMorganReport.com. David, welcome back to the program. Oh, it's great to be back. We're happy campers over the last week or two with regard to silver. It's leveled off a bit today, but onward and upward by the end of the year. Yeah, I've been looking for 35 to 40 by the end of the year, and it looks like we're, you know, well past the 33 and a half mark already, and I think it's going to accelerate. I think there'll be some back and forth here. The, there was a resistance level around the 32-ish area. We're through that, but usually on these kind of moves, it tests it. So in other words, it may come back in the 32 range and hopefully bounce off it to the upside. If it does that, that's pretty good confirmation that we're going to go higher in the near term, and that's pretty much what I expect. Do you expect money to open up for some of these juniors that are trying to get financed in the silver space? Not right away. I do expect it if this continues. In other words, most of these financings take place in a rather warm to hot market. And for that to take place, they're going to need proof that this thing is for real and the prices are moving higher. So, yes, eventually. But for right now, I think it's still pretty difficult for a lot of these companies to raise funds. So a lot of institutional fence-sitting. Primarily, I mean, there are more aggressive funds than others, obviously, and a few of those are, you know, jumping in right away. In fact, some have gotten on the silver and gold side, you know, in other words, the ETFs or hopefully the physical, in a lot of cases, the physical. A lot of these hedge funds have seen the light, so to speak, where they have gone from the paper silver and paper gold investments into the physical. It's more difficult for a fund to do that. I mean, it's very easy for a fund managing $200 million, $500 million, whatever it may be, to click a mouse and buy some SLV or GLD or sell it if they need to or whatever. I understand that, but it's really not a physical hedge. And a lot of these guys have actually come to the realization that it's time to get real and so they've taken their SLV and GLD or other similar type of uh, paper, silver and gold investments off, taken that cash and rerouted it in the physical metal. And that only helps the market. Can we see some acquisition attempts by some of the majors and mid-tier companies right before the junior mining stocks head north? I definitely believe so. I mean, Jim Paplava, myself, and others have stated that you'd see it 
coming more and more, and we have seen quite a bit of it, and we'll continue to see it. In fact, there's uh, one on our list that I think is very ripe picking as a takeover candidate. It hasn't happened yet, and it's just a guess on my part. I have no inside information, but a lot of these that are undercapitalized, goes back to your previous question, this company tried to raise money. It's in a great area. It's in a geopolitically safe area. It's in a district that is world-renowned. Everything about it really lines up well, yet it's extremely undervalued, and they couldn't raise funds. So based on the market capitalization of the company, what the company would sell for if you bought all the stock right now, it's, again, very undervalued. So that's one that I would think, you know, sooner or later, I, I thought immediately when I put it on the list that it was a bio candidate and was far higher then than it is now. So does that mean I'm right? No, it doesn't. But what I am stating is, yes, there will be more in the junior space and in the mid-tier space. These bigger companies like your Newmonts, Gold Corps and those type of companies really produce a lot of gold on an annual basis. And for them to go out and just explore and find more is prohibitive. They just can't do it. So they much rather find an asset that's already known and maybe has some upset potential for finding more, maybe not. But if they can buy it at the right price, that's usually what they do. And that's exactly what you're saying, Ellis. They go in, they buy it, and the people that own that particular company usually are rewarded in two ways. Normally, they're bought out at a premium, and sometimes they're bought out at a premium with stock. In other words, you getting stock from a mid-tier company to a top-tier company, which in a lot of cases is advantageous, not always, but in a lot of cases it is. Well, if we're not already a shareholder in that sort of company, what's your advice? I know I'm walking a fine line here when I ask that question. I think now is the time for everyone that's in this space to take a hard look at what they own and ask themselves stock by stock or company by company why you own it. And if you didn't own it, would you own it now? Would you buy it now? Because what happens is a lot of people get married to a certain stock or certain company because of the story or where it's located or the brother-in-law bought it or it's the lowest one they could find or it's got to move sooner or later. Lots of reasons. Really, you want to be able to sell the losers and keep the winners. And that's opposite of what most people do. Most people have some rationalization as to why they're going to keep their dogs and, and sell the ones that actually are doing well. They feel better because they're taking a profit. But it's really better investing to take the ones that really don't serve you and cycle that money, even if it's at a loss, into a better company. So I would suggest that, and I'd also say that most people over-speculate. In other words, they have too many expiration type of companies or juniors that are going to come into production years out, like, you know, four or five years out. We might be through the cycle five years from now. I don't know. I think we will be, actually, but I could be wrong. So if there's something that's really going to be a pretty good producer, but it's going to take five years from now for to get to that point, you can own it, certainly, but don't bet a lot on that type of situation. You want to be in the sweet spot. The sweet spot in this part of the cycle is to be in the top-tier juniors that are producing or very near production and the mid-tiers that have a lot of growth potential. That's the sweet spot. Those are the ones that are going to get the most bang for the buck, generally speaking. Are there exceptions? Always exceptions to this. But to find exceptions is very, very difficult. We'll be right back. The Ellis Martin Report is sponsored by El Tigre Silver Corp, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. 
silver has been considered a precious metal for 6,000 years and currency since 600 B.C. It's been commercially mined in Mexico since 1530 in mineral prolific and mining-friendly Sonora State, where El Tigre Silver Corp's 5,000-meter drill program is now underway. El Tigre's properties with gold and silver mining concessions span approximately 267 square miles. With an attractive share structure and a strong, proven management team, El Tigre Silver Corp. is poised to identify a resource in an area that from 1903 to 1938 produced 75 million ounces of silver and 380,000 ounces of gold. Additionally, their tailing stockpile is currently progressing to production. Learn more about El Tigre Silver Corp. by visiting their website, eltigresilvercorp.com, or click through El Tigre's logo on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. And we're back. Do you get involved in any early stage exploration plays? I do. There's one I've done for years and years and years, and quite frankly, I still own it. It's Macmillan Gold. And frankly, they have decent projects. I've been on them. I've walked the projects. One of them is the one that was Western Copper that was Western Silver and bought out. It's right next to that project. It's similar. It's a highly disseminated, lot of it type of situation. But this is one that, you know, by this point in the cycle, they should have really progressed the company further along than they have. There's really nothing wrong with it other than it's just taken too long. So a lot of those type, and there are several out there like that, that really haven't progressed as rapidly as their competitors. And it is a free market in some ways, not totally, but in some ways the exploration side is pretty free market. So they're competing against companies that really got with it or was able to find funding or whatever. So yeah, I do do it occasionally. And quite frankly, also, it's not an area that I've done well in the last couple of years. If you go back to when I started like 12 or 13 years ago, and you look at the ones that I had, on there. Well, Western Copper, as an example, we had that thing like under a dollar and that thing went with a 10-bagger that was bought by Glamis or that was bought by Gold Corp. So certainly a huge winner. And I had several like that, actually. But the last few years, I've shifted because I know the cycle, the market, and the market cycle is going from these juniors explorations that get big lifts, even some that don't deserve it, and then it goes into the mid-tier where you really have to have the actual goods and you have to be bringing them to the surface to get a real upside into your stock so that's where we're still at do you ever sell those so-called possible losers low do you ever sell low yeah i've sold out low i mean usually i've got a trailing stop in the general you know how to use our our suggestions you know and it talks about putting a stop on them when you get in because i can't get everybody in at the same time because you know we're always getting subscribers that you know, come on board and those that drop off. So, you know, they take a look at the list and go, oh, that thing's up, you know, 30% already. Should I buy it? And you can, if there's a buy on it, you could, but you want to put a stop on it. I mean, the best thing to do is to get in. And then some of these, if they're in the rank speculation section where you should only bet money you can afford to lose, then it's kind of your call. In other words, you could put a stop on it, which is probably the smartest thing to do, but these things move so widely up and down and there's such small market cap stocks that you can just if you actually did put in money you can afford to lose what you can do is just hold it and you should sprinkle it out in other words you should own one you should probably own five as a minimum if you want to hold it for a while you know until tax loss selling or whatever your particular individual case is you can do so that's what i tend to do i really stress again the mid-tier is pretty much to make solid money and of course we like to speculate the ones that we speculate in are well researched i mean i think we've got one or two losers right now as far when we started with them. Overall, we're doing, you know, we're doing well, and, and we do. We'll drop them off. I mean, there's times that uh, just it's obvious that we've made an error, and we admit it. And so we've made an error on this company. This has happened, or that hasn't, or we thought this or that, and it's time to get rid of it and replace it with something better. So, yeah, we pretty much, uh, as Warren Buffett says, we 
eat our own cooking, in other words. And people often ask, well, exactly what are you doing? Well, the Morgan Report is pretty much what I'm doing. It's not precisely, but it's very, very close. And to become a follower of David Morgan, the Silver Guru, and the Morgan Report, what do we have to do? Uh, the easiest way is it's all Internet-based, so just get on the Internet, and that would be www.themorganreport.com, all one word, themorganreport.com. And you know, if you're not sure what you want to do, there's uh, three videos on the different levels of service, the basic, intermediate, and advanced. On top of that, you can just get on our free email list, and you can get weekly information on the macroeconomic picture, sometimes on silver or gold. Sometimes we put a comment in there. And we don't bombard people daily, you know, sign up, sign up, sign up. I just don't believe in that. It's once a week. It usually comes out Saturday or Sunday. It's a casual read. And we also collect usually the interviews like this that I do during the week, so people don't have to search all over the Internet to find them. So it's kind of a neat, tidy way to just get pulsed once a week, and you can get kind of everything I've done during the week in the public domain sent to your inbox and then you can you know during the rest of the following week or whatever you can listen to an interview two three whatever you wish david as always it's a pleasure to speak with you have a great rest of the week thanks for joining me today on the program thank you ellis i've been speaking with the silver guru david morgan his website is themorganreport.com listen to this segment again on the podcast page of our website ellismartinreport.com this segment has been sponsored by el tigre silver corp trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol ELS.V and on the OTCQX as EGRTF. El Tigre Silver Corp. is focused on silver exploration and development in prolific Sonora State, Mexico. Find them on the web at eltigresilvercorp.com. Hey, it's me, Cool Voice Guy. If you'd like to hear any of these audio segments again, find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. You'll also be able to review a great deal of news and information on a variety of topics that Ellis Martin feels is important for you to see. Wow, that's ellismartinreport.com. The following segment is sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at ExpeditionMining.com. Dudley Baker is the editor of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Mr. Baker has 35 years of accumulated knowledge and experience in trading stocks, options, leaps, futures, options on futures, and warrants. In March 2005, he founded and launched a new investment market data service, Precious Metals Warrants, which provides detail on all mining and energy company warrants trading on the U.S. and Canadian exchanges. As part of his service, he provides insights as to when insiders are buying and selling and issues buy and sell recommendations based on his research. Dudley, welcome back to the program. Always great to be here, Ellis. You just took a trip to both Panama and Durango, Mexico. Tell us about it. It was a good trip. We met with representatives of a Panamanian brokerage firm, Thales, T-H-A-L-E-S. But it's just another opportunity for those listeners anywhere in the world. You know, not everybody is in the United States that's listening to our comments, and we've got subscribers literally around the world. So what takes us to Panama is to open our eyes to what other brokerage firms may be out there in the universe that may be of interest to other people. Of course, they are available also. Thales is, is open to U.S. investors as well. So it just is another idea, another place in this theme of asset diversification, of having your assets outside the control of the U.S. government. So that's kind of what takes us down there. Good trip. 
and just kind of thinking out loud here to you, but almost thinking of uh, maybe in the future to start doing some seminars ourselves down in Panama. You know, maybe having some of the local attorneys uh, down there participate, fails to participate. I'm just putting my ideas together. I think this would be interesting. We would also focus on some tax issues, leaving America, you know, expatriate stuff, all of this good stuff. So really make it an interesting deal. For those that are just listening that don't know me, I've lived in Mexico since 1999, so as a U.S. citizen. So truly I am living the expat situation and loving it. So that's one thing on the agenda. Like where I'm going to find the time to do all this, I'm not sure. But it's a fun thing. I would love to start participating in in some seminars like this. Before you took off, we were speaking about how the market had hit bottom and was headed north. It's headed north right now. Did you make any investments before you left? And if so, have you profited from them in this very short time? Let's put it this way. When we say, and I've made any investments since I left, every day I'm following the market, so I don't care where in the world I'm at. I've got to have Internet access. It's just a requirement for me and so I'm always watching the markets and I can do a trade from anywhere in the world with my brokerage accounts. So now the markets are looking great and of course we've just had a, a real recent strong day in gold and silver last Friday so things are really looking firm to us and we're really excited about where we're going here and we continue to add to our portfolio you know cash permitting and so it's just exciting times and so for those readers that are not in the market yet in the resource sector we just encourage you you know whether you're following me or any of the other newsletters but get your rear end in gear and get on board with the game we really hope that you decide to follow us here at either precious metalswarrants.com or at thegreedyguru.com two great services little different approach to the markets and picking what we deem to be the future winners but two great approaches think you'll be well rewarded down the road here well this would certainly be the time to pay very close attention to what dudley baker is doing or following we'll be right back the ellis martin report is sponsored by expedition mining trading on the tsx venture exchange under the symbol exu.v expedition has assets in the yukon territory as well as nevada over 12 and a half million ounces of gold have been produced from the yukon since 1896 with a present day worth of approximately 15.6 billion dollars and the territory is still relatively unexplored many of the known mineral occurrences are yet to be thoroughly investigated with modern exploration technologies expedition has recently begun its joy and mount mervyn projects these properties are located along the Rackla Gold Belt in the Yukon. In Nevada, Expedition Mining has 100% interest in three gold exploration properties located within the Walker Lane Mineral Belt. Like the Yukon, Nevada is one of the top 10 jurisdictions worldwide for encouraging mining investment. Nevada hosts many world-class gold deposits being exploited by major mining companies. With a strong management team, cash in the bank, and potentially prolific resources in the Yukon and Nevada, Expedition Mining is well-positioned for upward momentum in the resource sector. Visit their website, ExpeditionMining.com. And we're back. I'd have to say, though, that the market really hasn't woken up yet and followed the trend upward in gold and silver. No, no, I don't think so. I mean, even though some of the shares are up, the excitement really has not come back in yet, especially to the the smaller exploration companies. And, of course, we own some ourselves. The large percentage of our dollars, of course, are in producing companies, even though you might say they're still speculative companies, but they are producing. They're no longer down in the exploration category. I don't have a number for you, but I'm thinking just my top three, top four positions probably consume 75% or so of my capital. 
including a small amount of just physical gold and silver. And then maybe the other 25% of my portfolio is an incredible basket of smaller exploration companies that, and when I say a basket, I'm talking about for me is probably 70, 75 different companies that I'm into for a specific reason. Nobody needs to invest in a lot of these companies. Some I've been on board for a while, but my uh, subscribers get to see my top 25. Actually, to see everything, but I've got my top 25 laid out there for you. So you know exactly what those companies are. And you can decide for yourself. So, you know, the gold companies, the silver companies. and I mean, I like to have a large enough position that if we do get a major uh, hit, you know, 500 to 1,000% on some, that we've got enough money to see at the end of the day. And down here, uh, living in Mexico, my expression to my friends is that, you know, I want any of my positions that if they we really hit a home run, that it's enough to buy a house on the hill couple hundred thousand, half million or, or so range. So I want to own a significant enough position that at the end of the day, if we are fortunate, that we really got enough monies here to, to do something with. And so it's, I always look at the cumulative approach, though, is that from my personal portfolio, and I would ask everybody listening, you know, would you be happy if your current value of your portfolio went up three times, five times, or ten times, and in the next 18 months? And I think most of us would be uh, just ecstatic at that prospect. And I think this is the way I'm playing the market for myself and those that choose to follow me. This is what we're looking for. We want to see some significant increase in our portfolio, and I think we are correctly positioned to do that. How are you watching 75 companies? How is that possible? It's easy for me. This is what I do. This is what I love to do. I personally use stockwatch.com. This is a subscription service. It's more or less $50 a month. I think I've upgraded now to $100 a month, depending on how many securities you want to follow. This is a service, too, that I utilize to download quotes at the end of the day to update all of our services, etc. I've used this for quite some time. You just have your portfolio listed here with all of the symbols. It gives me all of the news. Any breaking news comes out. It's just right here in front of me. I'm just sitting there at the computer and not constantly refreshing, but I'm just always up to speed on the breaking news on any of our companies. And so it's just right in front of me here. It makes it easy for me to do this. Now, again, with my previous background and accounting skills, etc., you know, I've got big Excel spreadsheets on a lot of my portfolio, a lot of our warrant database. And so it just really makes it easy for me to maintain those services and my personal portfolio as well. I know each individual does not. We all have different backgrounds and expertise and everything. For me, this is the easy part for me. And those that follow me, you'll see that uh, you know there's a lot of stuff put together here. I'm getting ready, I think, to write an article. I'm trying to think I'm going to title this like Behind the Walls. And it's going to be like to encourage those that have not subscribed to my service. The expression behind the walls is it kind of goes down in our territory here in Mexico. You can drive down a street and you just see a, a stone wall and you have no idea what's behind it. But frequently here in our area, what's behind that stone wall could be a house that's worth a half a million or more. Beautiful landscape. I was at a party last night. And this was the situation, little bitty old street, little Cali, and it's like you open the front door and it's like, holy smokes, it's behind the walls. And the analogy is going to be to my service. You really don't know until you subscribe what is truly behind our walls, what's behind our facade, and what are you going to get to see as a subscriber. And 
I continue to get this from other people that come on board. Wow. You know, you got a lot of information here, and we do have an incredible amount of information. To me, I'd, I guess this will sound a little too promotional here, Ellis, but it's like just to tell people, don't be fearful of the service. You know, if you want, you know, come in, kick the tires for a month. We'd we love for you to stay and be long-term subscribers, but truly see on both of the services what we do have to offer you because I think it exceeds what most other people out there are doing. So we're really pleased with what we providing to the investment community. Tell us more about the useful features of PreciousMetalsWarrants.com. Included in our warrant database, we've got a link to all of the leaps and options that are also trading on the resource companies, and those would all be going back to the uh, Chicago Board Options Exchange. But we've got a link in there to all of those companies, a list of all the companies, as well as a link to Yahoo for the longest expiration terms. We really got a lot of info that we put together here. Now, just for any listener that just you know had the idea, well, man, I can go and do this myself, and of course you can. You know, go to the uh, Chicago Board Options Exchange, uh, the website, CBOE. It's going to take you quite a few hours, I can tell you, because this is the amount of time it takes me to go back to update this and to stay on top of it. You could spend many hours doing this. And those that have the time, that's cool. But then what do you do with this information? Well, in our case, we've got it all laid out here for you, and we've got it hyperlinked. We've just taken the work out of the situation for our subscribers. Again, I personally had not had the background or the skills to, you know, the spreadsheets and stuff. I could not provide this to my subscribers. So my background has given me a lot of skills here that have just made the service, all the services, very easy for me to do. And I'm a hands-on guy. I don't want to have other people trying to do everything else for me. I want to do it. If I want to make a change on something, I'm going to make a change now, not have somebody do it for me and maybe next week it gets done. I just want to be as hands-on as I can possibly be. Well, Dudley, it's always a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks so much for joining me today. You bet, Ellis. Thank you. I've been speaking with Dudley Baker of both PreciousMetalsWarrants.com and TheGreedyGuru.com. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. This segment has been sponsored by Expedition Mining, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol EXU.V. Expedition has two dynamic gold projects in the Yukon and three in Nevada. Find them at ExpeditionMining.com. Hey, it's me, Cool Voice Guy. Unless your brain is the size of a watermelon, like mine, you'd probably like to hear these segments again and again and again. Find us on the web at ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. If you listen to all of them, your mind will be saturated with money juice. That's what I call it. That's ellismartinreport.com. Ian Chalmers is the Managing Director of Alkane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol ANLKY. Alkane has significant assets of zirconium in its double zirconia project with rare earths and rare metals, and then gold in its Tomlingley Gold project, as well as copper in New South Wales, Australia. Ian, welcome back to the program. Oh, hi, Alice. Now, I wasn't aware of all the projects that Alkane Resources has had over the years, evidently. We've covered the Dobo Zirconia project. We've spoken about the Tomlingley Gold project. And then, 
seemingly out of nowhere, while everyone is on summer vacation here in North America. You sell your interest in a McPhillamy's Gold Project, a joint venture that you have with Newmont Exploration, a subsidiary of the giant Newmont Mining for a paltry $75.6 million. Mm, Correct. (coughs) Now, why didn't we know about this? This is great news. Congratulations. What are you going to do with all that cash or stock? Well, look, it's interesting. It goes back a long way, and it's it's just part of our exploration activities. And because when you have development projects, people don't take a lot of interest in what you're doing in an exploration sense. But we actually discovered McPhillamy's back in 2006, and by 2009, I think, uh, or 2010, reported the three million ounce resource there. And at that stage, the joint venture was with Newmont. Uh, they came in and they earned a 51% interest. And sometimes the market Markets tend to take a sort of a, a light, slight negative view of when you're in joint venture with majors. I mean, you have 49%, therefore the major dominates the timetable and dominates what's being done. So in that sense, it sort of got pushed down the recognition pile, even though it probably still rates as one of the best greenfield gold discoveries in Australia in the last sort of five years or so. So yeah, it was important. It was very important to us. When you have a major like Newmont who's there looking all the time around the world at all their different opportunities, McPhillip probably slipped down their uh, list of priorities a little bit and it wasn't going anywhere and fortunately the Regis opportunity came out Regis resources opportunity came out and it seemed like a smart thing to do a solar project 100% because obviously Newmont were party to that as well and then we felt we'd sit back and hang on to the Regis shares and uh, go for a ride with them and get some return out of the project when they put it into production. Now the good thing about Regis is that they're already a gold producer probably heading towards 300,000 ounces a year and maybe greater and then with McPhillamy's coming on stream and maybe three or so years time they might be a half million ounce gold producer so they're very substantial group and very substantial production capacity and the shares to us if you like going into the bank account they'll sit there uh, we have no need or desire to sell the shares at this point in time but we'll sit on it and um, just see what happens and it's interesting I mean given that the deal was done at a, at a base price of $4.20 and today Regis are already trading at $4.70 something so we probably made $10 million since we did the deal a week or so ago. So it's, it's useful, but it's a bit like a bank account, having it sitting there in the bank account and hopefully accumulating over the next year or so. What was the cost to acquire and explore or define that project? What was your investment? Our investment's actually quite small. I mean, we acquired the ground by applying for an exploration license. I mean, we apply for these licenses as long as there's no conflicting land use or other exploration titles in there. We were granted that back in, gosh, about 2000. We did some work on it in 2000 and then sort of slowly sort of got tied up doing Tommingley and tied up doing Dubbo and that's ultimately why we farmed it out to Newmont I mean they came to us in 2000 and said look we've done a bit of a a geological analysis of that region Uh, you've got some good properties would you be interested in joint venturing and at that stage the prime target was a different project not McPhillamy's but the nice thing about it is that because they had no presence in that region they allowed us to do all the exploration work we put up the programs and budgets they provided the cash to do that and really we finally convinced them that this area we call McPhillamy's Philomies was worth drilling. So Alcane's exposure into the project is the total project is probably less than half a million dollars. Now over the subsequent years since the joint venture got rolling Newmont have probably spent a total of fifteen million dollars. So it's a good return for them and it's an extremely good return for us. 
it's an incredible return for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I think it's I think it's fabulous. I mean, in a technical sense, I mean, I'm a geologist, and you know, I know how difficult it is to find three million ounce gold deposits. So I guess technically, my internal technical body was saying to me, you know, don't sell. But in a corporate sense, it was a very very smart and logical thing to do, and it just helps Alkane going forward over the next sort of four or five years. Well, sure, that's a possible $5 billion resource. That's a liberal number, and certainly some shareholders might be saying, sure, that's 150 now, but what could it be worth down the road, and why aren't you developing it when Dubbo generates enough cash to get that into production? But McPhillamy's never been your main focus, has it? No, it hasn't, and, and we understand those questions. In fact, we got some of those questions here when we made the announcement as to why we aren't doing it. But the issue really is you can only do so much. I mean, we've got Tommingly ready to go, Dubbo a year or so down the road ready to go. We would have had to have gone and bought Newmont out, so we would have had to buy them. They, they may not have wanted to sell to us, but we would have had to buy them out first, then do all the exploration and feasibility study work. That would probably take us, say, three years and cost us $100 million dollars maybe more then to a point we've then got to find another 200 to maybe 300 million dollars to develop the project so we just weighed that up against where we're going with Tamingley where we're going with Dubbo and some of the other exploration projects and said look because of the joint venture structure we're really better off taking that in shares in, in somebody like Regis at this point in time because we know that ultimately over some over the next two or three years we'll actually get a very substantial return back out of Regis without the risk and without the difficulties of putting another project into production. Did Newmont do all the work in getting this property out of their inventory and yours? They had an interest because they already are a shareholder in Regis Resources and it had some merit to them to be able to do a transaction for shares because it then increased their shareholding in Regis. And like all big companies, they're always looking at a, at a way to have the resources, to be able to quote the resources and also quote production. And they have this magic thing called equity accounting. So let's say that Newmont go up to 20% of Regis, it means that they can equity account 20% of Regis's total resources in the ground as 20% allocated to Newmont. And probably more importantly, when Regis go into production, or Regis are already in production, 20% of that output can be allocated and say, well, that's Newmont production as well. So it's a pretty neat deal in the sense that if you're a major company and you don't want the additional risk and time involved in, in say, developing a smaller project, it's a great way of adding to your perceived output by having this equity accounting concept. So they had motivation to do the deal with Regis as well. Not So we didn't put it up for, for tender. We didn't put it out for sale generally. It was a deal specifically you know, targeted for Regis. So is your remaining commonly gold project potential takeout candidate? Not really. It's too small. It's a modest project. It's probably 800,000 ounces in the ground there today. Over time, we think we could push it to a million ounces, but then the resource ounces sort of generally only equate or convert about 50 to 70% get converted into production ounces. So it's a relatively small project, and the reason we're committed to developing it is that it provides us with that bread and butter income, that $20, $30 million a year income that will generate for us it's just a very helpful backstop or insurance policy should for some reason Dubbo get pushed out another year or two or also to help us with our other exploration projects. And we have three very good exploration projects in the same region, two of which we 
could easily turn into ore bodies in the next two or three years. So that cash flow coming out of Tom and Liz, if you like it, it's funds the company independent of Dubbo. So that's the reason we've wanted to hang on to it. Certainly we've had the you know, the broking fraternity say to us a couple of times, oh, you need to split the company up between a gold company and a rare metal, rare earth company. And our view is it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, really, it's the cash flow that matters. It doesn't matter to me whether you're producing it from gold or copper or rare earth or widgets or something else for that matter. It's the cash flow that people should, should acknowledge. And then you get valued on cash flow eventually, not on the commodity. And the diversity gives you some flexibility, gives you some, again, insurance. You know, if the gold price of dives in the next two or three years, well, we've got Dubbo sitting there, we've got other copper projects. It might be vice versa, maybe the rare earth market, again, just wild to wild speculation falls apart totally. Then we've always got the gold as a backstop and the gold income. So we publicly state we're a diversified company. The difference is that that diversification is very geographically focused. One small tight area in the state of New South Wales is where we see all of our developments coming. So it's a long-winded way of answering a question, but basically at this stage we see Tommingley as an important part of the development of the company. You did just mention copper, yes? Yes, we do have a copper exploration project, yep. Now copper is a metal that does well when rare earths and rare metals do well or are in demand. What kind of copper resource do you have and how do you expect to monetize that? in the future. Right now we've got a small defined copper resource. It's only about two million tons of one percent copper. It's a relatively small resource but it is open pitable and it does produce a very nice clean copper concentrate. We think we can double or triple that size over the next couple of years and get it up to say five to eight million tons. It becomes a worthwhile project. Again not a large copper project but something that's there and there's a market for the metal. We also have another exploration project nearby which is a potentially much larger a copper gold porphyry system. For example, Newcrest, you know, Australia's uh, still biggest gold producer or, or domestic gold producer, is about 100 kilometres down the road from where we're working. Now, that deposit that they have there is something like 40 or 50 million ounces in ground. Now, I'm not saying we found that, but this other exploration project is the same geological environment but it takes time to explore these and to develop the potential resources. So we've got the copper resource there, small but can be expanded, and nearby another sort of copper gold porphyry system, which again needs exploration. So these are the pipeline of projects that we see Alkane looking to develop over the next three to five years. And you're right about copper. I mean, it still remains an important industrial metal. It's not up there with, say, iron ore or coal or those metals, but it's a very important metal in any industrialisation. And you look at the graphs that companies like Rio Tinto and BHP put out, they'll show how copper growth is dependent upon the stage of development of a country. Now, as you get up into stable development in most Western countries, for example, the copper demand is fairly flat, but maybe grows at 3 or 4% per annum. Countries like China, which are in this enormous growth phase, that copper demand can be 10 to 15% per annum. So there's still a big demand going forward for copper in the next sort of 10 to 20 years as countries like China and India industrialise. It's a good metal. It's an interesting metal to be involved in, and so we see a lot of future in it. This is not a new company, and years ago you spent quite a bit of time staking out the area in New South Wales with the knowledge that down the road, or in the future, there'd be a market for everything in a polymetallic sense that you have found. That's always been the strategy. It's something we've believed in in the metals business. We've believed in where it's going. We've certainly believed in the rare metal, rare earth business. And said I've been involved in it for 25 years. Probably 15 years ago, you know, I felt 
we were about to go through the transition where these metals would really start to come into their into their own as being you know, new age metals or environmentally necessary metals and that's all been part of the general strategy. So you're right, I mean the company's been around for many years but going back uh, to our involvement probably the early 90s, 1990 onwards, uh, we really did put a big effort into building up our land position and then ultimately having the strategy of multiple developments. Let's talk about rare earths and rare metals specifically. While two of the largest companies in the space, Lioness and Molycor, have experienced a bit of a takedown and some of my peers are calling the sector somewhat of a bubble, the fact remains that you have memorandums of understandings or MOUs for probable offtake agreements for everything you'll have coming out of the double area, correct? That's correct, yes. You're right about the negative sentiment that's crept into the industry. And it, I mean, it's generally wrong. I mean, people have got to stand back. Okay, we did go through an enormous bubble-type effect back in early last year, middle of 2011, but it's now starting to stabilise, and I think over the next year or so, you'll start to see prices stabilise again as demand picks up. And again, we're, unfortunately, we're going through another flat demand time but as demand picks up those prices will start to come back to a level which is then long-term sustainable and sure the guys like Molycore and Linus are going to be there at the forefront with their big light rare earth production there is still scope for other companies like ourselves with four to five thousand tons a year of production which aren't impacted to the same degree as the bigger guys Linus and Molycorp so it's still a very good business it's going through another transition that it will go through over the next I said one to two years the Chinese are looking at it much more long-term sustainable now than what they're doing to the industry inside China so it is a good business but the trouble is that the market has just taken this very negative view on it at present and uh, is not standing back and looking at the fundamentals when they're trying to value these companies Unfortunately, we see it quite often. Regardless of all of that negative news in the rare metal space, Tom Lee is about to go into production. You've just offloaded the McPhillamy Gold Project for $76 million or shares equivalent. And then, of course, the Dubbo Zirconia Project will go into production, generating half a billion dollars a year for perhaps 100 years. So if you're looking for value in the sector at all, Alcane looks like a reasonable risk. Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> we would agree with you completely. But it's getting that message across. It's very hard. There's still a lot of skepticism, and particularly when you start talking capital costs of a billion dollars. You know, people always say to you, well, how are you going to raise that? How are you going to raise that in this market? The short answer is, look, we're not trying to raise a billion dollars today. Maybe 12 months, 18 months' time when we need the money, that's when we're back out there and there are multiple ways to do it. So people shouldn't get too negative at this stage about the industry and you know, about where Alcane will be in you know, two years' time or three years' time. Well, Ian, it's been a fascinating conversation this week. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks, Alice. It's nice to talk to you too. Thank you. I've been speaking with Ian Chalmers, CEO and Managing Director of Alcane Resources, trading on the OTCQX under the symbol A-N-L-K-Y. Find their logo and click through to the Alcane website on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. We offer expert opinions only. Find them on our website, ellismartinreport.com. That's ellismartinreport.com. Joining us now is veteran geologist and mining stock analyst Brent Cook. His website is called ExplorationInsights.com and offers the sophisticated speculator, independent and unbiased analysis of the junior mining and exploration market. Brent provides you with rigorous factual analysis based on decades of industry-related experience in over 60 countries. Brent, welcome back to the program. 
Thank you. Glad to be on it. It's been a while. We haven't talked in months. From what I understand and what most people would say has been a terrible year in the resource sector for a lot of investors, a lot of pundits, most everybody, you've had a fairly decent ride. Do you want to talk about that? It's been a terrible market, and you know, certainly a lot of our stocks are down considerably over the past call it 18 months and stuff. But in general, these are the sort of markets that I, I prefer in that everything's not flying and you know, everybody's not getting it right. So what we've been doing is able to identify high-quality, early-stage exploration plays that really stand a chance of becoming something major. I've hired on another geologist, Quentin Henning, who's real smart, came out of Newmont. And so we've been putting together a series as to what the majors are looking for, what the mid-tiers are looking for, and then finally, what's out there that they can buy. And you'd be surprised how little there is out there. When you really go through the numbers, offers the profit margin that these guys are looking for which comes back to what I'm saying, is that high-quality exploration discovery is going to be worth a lot. Now, you wrote an article that was available to your subscribers on your website, explorationinsights.com, going into detail as far as how few gold deposits that there are that can meet the demand as you just elaborated on. You're only looking at these early-stage exploration companies with a chance of success. You're not looking at the producers right now in that that's not where you and or your subscribers can make the biggest buck. Well, certainly, I don't deal with the majors. It's, and I understand what they're doing, and I think it's interesting. I mean, the big picture to me is that these majors are unable to find, develop, and prove up sufficient resources to place what they're producing. In particular, sufficient resources to do so at the same cost. We've seen Barrick pull some huge projects off the books, 36 million ounces they pulled off out of their development stage plans. Newmont's done similar things. Uh, Newcrest has been pulling things off. They're all having trouble. So what that tells me is that they need high margin deposits. They don't have them in-house, and they're going to have to go out and buy them, and buy them they will. And so that's, to me, the logical place to be is at that very early stage where you can start to see a discovery and understand the geologic potential and what it's really going to take to mine it and get in on that. There's no room for error because my belief is that I want to sell the stock I buy to someone smarter than me, that being a mining company. So that's what I'm always looking at is how are they going to look at these things. So we've had some real successes. I mean, let's see, one of our stocks is up 388% since we bought it. Uh, Another one's up 821 since we bought it. So we've had a good year overall when you average everything in. When you say when you bought it, are you talking about last year or the year before? How long have you owned these stocks? Well, okay, for instance, uh, one of the companies is Reservoir Minerals. We bought that in July, and we're up 200-plus percent on that one. Another one we bought is Gold Quest, which we bought in May. We're up 388 on that one. And so those are bought, you know, this year during the depths of the bad market. It's the time to identify these things. Well, that's amazing. And we're relying on your expertise as a geologist, basically, and your knowledge of who's running the companies. Basically, yeah. This is a very complex business, geology, mining, exploration, And, you know, that's what I've done for 30-odd years. So it makes sense that I should know at least somewhat what I'm doing. But you wouldn't expect me to know anything about biotechnology or brain surgery, right? (laughs) So it's the same thing. Now, do these companies pay you in any way to come take a look at them? No, I think that's, that's a really good question. And everybody who's getting advice from somebody should have their advisor tell them how they make their money. What I do, my letter is about what I'm doing with my money in this sector, what I'm buying, what I'm not buying, and the reasoning behind it. And the only money I make is off my subscriptions and off my investments. So I don't get paid by any companies for anything, saying anything, 
whatever. And you'll note that in my litter, I'm not afraid to call something funny, if you will, if it is. There's a lot of bogus. companies out there putting out bogus, exactly. There's a lot of companies that do put out bogus information. And, you know, if it's really striking and it's stirring a lot of questions from my subscribers, I'll go into that, too, why we're not buying it. Barkerville Gold is a great example of that. We went into a lot of detail on their resource statement because not so much that I was going to buy it or short it, but just as an example of things you've got to look for. What are some of the up-and-comers you're excited about right now? Who have you gotten involved with recently that you're betting on? Yeah, the fellow working with me, Quentin Henning, he just got back from a trip to Dominican Republic visiting with uh, Goldcrest, among a number of other companies down there. And he came back positive enough that uh, he'd actually bought some of that stock. You know, I went from a much lower cost basis, but so that's a good one. A reservoir, I just got back from Serbia looking at their TMOC project, which again, they just put out a drill hole that's stellar, one of the best I've ever seen. That's certainly one that we've been watching. Almaden is another company that's slowly defining a resource down in um, Mexico. Those are the three that come to mind, and I can't, obviously can't give away everything, but well, I'm very cautious. I don't buy that many stocks. You know, it's a very slow process. How many are in your portfolio, if you don't mind me asking? I try and keep it to a maximum of 20. The key in this game is to understand more about a company than the competition, and 20 companies is a lot to follow. Another one we bought recently is Bello Sun, a much larger company, much more advanced with a good 5 million ounce resource in Brazil that I think is high grade enough or high margin enough that somebody will buy it. So that's the sort of thing we're looking at, too. And have you taken any major hits in 2012? <laughs> yeah, we've been nailed pretty good on a few as well. Um, our investment in Glass Earth hasn't turned out too well. We're down 41% on that. I'm off on a few others. That's the biggest hit we've taken, I think. But it has been a bad year in general. I mean, you know, these exploration plays, unless they've got a drill hole or certain science, exciting discovery, they've just slowly but surely gone down every month. Now, you're going to be attending the Hard Assets Conference in Chicago at the end of the month. Other than speaking, which we're all looking forward to, what are you going to be looking for? I'm actually doing a, a short course, too, a two-hour short course on interpreting company news releases. I think that's a useful course. The benefit to me at those conferences is I can meet a bunch of companies in a short period of time in a short place and get a sense of who may be onto something that I want to follow up on when I get back to my office or even go look and take a look at. I just use those conferences to do my own research. Let's talk about your website, explorationinsights.com. Actually, there's some useful information on there. There's one tab called Geo Insights, and on there I've put a number of the more geologic discussions out of the newsletters, pulled them out and put it out there for public to see. There's some technical papers. And there's lots of interviews and things I've written in the past as well that I think are worth someone having a look at if they're interested in this sector. Well, Brent, it's always a pleasure to speak with you. Thanks for catching up with us today on the program. Thank you. I've been chatting with geologist and newsletter writer Brent Cook. Brent's website is explorationinsights.com. Listen to the segment again on the podcast page of our website, ellismartinreport.com. In this segment, I'll be speaking with Michael McClellan, president of Gale Force Petroleum, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GFP.V and on the OTCQX as GFPMF. Gale Force Petroleum is a company focused on acquiring and exploiting underdeveloped and undervalued oil and gas reserves in mature basins, bringing operational expertise and capital to lower-risk development-type projects. Gale Force currently owns producing oil and gas properties in Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and West Virginia. Michael, welcome to the program. Thanks, Ellis. So tell us something about Gale Force Petroleum, your producer. Yes, we have cash flow positive, profitable, productive operations, two years in the making. Production has increased over nine successive quarters. Cash flows 
generated continue to increase in lockstep. When was the company founded, Michael? Galeforce was launched under its new and current business plan in May of 2010 and began a series of acquisitions that have resulted in the company having an NAV of somewhere around 70 cents per share, maybe even a dollar per share. As I mentioned, our production has increased every quarter since then. The business plan was to acquire underdeveloped properties in the southern U.S., focusing mainly in Texas, and bring capital and expertise to those underdeveloped properties and not take a lot of risk. We haven't drilled any wells yet. We've merely bought existing production or previously producing wells and then brought them back onto production. And the strategies work very well for us so far, and we've been able to earn very good returns for our investors. You're not really wasting any money on speculative drilling, are you? No. We've only bought mainly proof shallow oil reserves, whether it was existing production or prior production in the recent past. And we've reactivated that production using some new technologies, but mostly proven technologies. So there isn't a lot of risk with what we do. And yes, the cash flows back out of the properties we purchased and developed have begun immediately, and that has helped us grow the business because we've been reinvesting that cash all the way along. Do you expect to have to go back to the market for any further funding? We are fully funded at the moment. You know, we don't expect to go back to market anytime soon, but we're a public company and we're growing very fast. We've done 10 acquisitions now in just over two years. At some point, we likely will need to raise additional capital to continue our growth, but that wouldn't be till sometime in 2013. When the price of oil comes off like it did this year, it doesn't really affect your bottom line much, does it? No, I mean, this is all good territory for us. We've modeled our business at $80 oil. And we've got a lot of hedges in place. There's swaps at $100 oil for about two-thirds of our production. So even if oil is at $80, we're still going to be getting over $100 on a majority of our production. Those hedges are in place you know, on a declining basis through to the middle of 2014. So we feel very secure about our cash flows over the next two years. Tell us about the board of directors of your company and your background as well, if you don't mind. My co-chairman now is Scott Patterson. He's one of Canada's biggest producing investment bankers ever, raising over a billion dollars for various junior resource and technology and other companies. He currently sits on the board of Lionsgate Cinema. Robert Johnson is a local Dallas director who's got 10 years experience in the oil and gas business, ran and owned a private oil and gas company with Emory Johnson of Operations for 10 years. He's a very successful entrepreneur in the technology business as well. Ruben Alba is ex-superior, ex-Halliburton. He's the chairman of our reserves committee, one of the most talented deal flow assessors that I've ever seen. He's got an excellent background in geophysics, geology, and engineering, so he brings a lot to the table. Charles Marlowe is a head trader and founder at Palos Management, which is a half a billion dollar fund out of Montreal. He mainly executes short long strategies on oil and gas stocks, so he's very knowledgeable in our space. Again, has helped out greatly on the market side of things. Guillaume Dumas is on our board. He's also our CFO. He's got 20 years' experience in capital markets, raising money for junior companies. He's a lawyer by background, but has an excellent financial and legal mind. So we've actually got a overall a, an excellent board that brings a lot of different perspectives. There's a very collaborative approach at the board level that leads to very good decision-making, as far as I can tell, and I, and I love working with these guys. On the operational side of things, Emory Johnson, our chief of operations, he's got 40 years' experience in executive management. He spent last... 13 years successfully building and operating an oil and gas company in East Texas. 
very steady hand in terms of managing and the growth of our production. Daniel Smith is our chief technical advisor. He's based out of Tyler, Texas. He was formerly with XTO and oversaw a million cubic feet of gas production a day. Very challenging completion techniques that he executed on there. He's helping us with all aspects of our development. And actually, Daniel, Ruben, and Emery form our technical committee. And that technical committee oversees and approves all of our capital spending, both acquisitions and capex for development. And so between Ruben's experience with Spear and Halliburton, Daniel's with XTO and Emery's in operations, we've got an amazing technical team. And how about yourself? I was initially hired to restructure and relaunch Gale Force. My background is in finance and general business. I did a Bachelor of Commerce way back when and initially worked doing swap operations with Deutsche Bank in London, England. I helped set up financial systems for the Scottish Parliament in 2001 when the Parliament was founded. Then I was selling hedge funds and mutual funds for pioneer investments out of France to Europe, Middle East, Africa. When I came back to Canada, I moved to Montreal and did various financial roles, but I ended up becoming the CFO of a technology company that was listed on the Venture Exchange and ascertained a lot of corporate finance experience. Ultimately, that led to being the CFO and CEO of what is now Galeforce and being hired to restructure it and write the new business plan. I wrote that business plan with the help of others to take advantage of the current macroeconomic climate. We wrote it with the benefit of having seen the gas price collapse of 2008 and the general difficulty small companies were having financing themselves after the financial crisis. We've gone after opportunities where the sellers of properties have often been in financial distress, which has allowed us to buy at relatively good values. Not every single property we've bought has been coming in or out of a bankruptcy, but some of them have been, and it's, it's enabled us to get in at very good prices on the properties before we start applying capital to the development part. I've been speaking with Michael McClellan, CEO of Gale Force Petroleum, trading on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol GFP.V and on the OTCQX as GFPMF. Find a link to their website on the homepage of our website, ellismartinreport.com. The Ellis Martin Report will be back soon. Remember, this is actually one of those paid programs where companies and a few choice individuals engage us financially. Remember, invest at your own risk. Get more of our powerful programming on the web at ellismartinreport.com. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.